Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio, where we help you navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just won't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 129 with Lyme Ninja, Ed Messick. Also, welcome with me to the studio, our show producer and the brains behind Lyme Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn how stress will a catalyst for a Lyme episode, how Ed figured out he needed to get off antidepressants and onto antibiotics, and how having Lyme disease eventually inspired him. Thanks, Aurora. And I want to remind everybody, if you can, please go on over to LymeNinjaRadio.com and subscribe. And the subscribe button is an opportunity for you to contribute to us. And we're asking for a small donation, $4 a month or 8 or 12, if you could do that. We have the ninja level, which is the $4 level, sensei level, which is 8, and daimyo, which is Japanese for lord or master, and maybe governor would be a good word too. Anyway, for $12. So if you, I'm getting caught up in what daimyo means. It's such a fancy <laughs> word. It is. It sounds very regal too. It is. So if you subscribe to the WO level, you are a very regal person. Yes, we appreciate that. And for only $12 a month, you too can be a daimyo. <laughs> so thank you, everybody who have subscribed to Lime Ninja Radio. We're really glad that you like us and enjoy us. And, and thank you so much. Us. Every little bit helps. We're on the road to $300 a month. That's our goal, and we're moving in that direction. We need a few more subscribers, quite a few more subscribers, actually. But we are appreciative for everybody who has helped us this far. We really appreciate it, and we invite you, if you like what we're doing, to help keep us on the air. Okay, Aurora, why don't you tell us a little bit more about today's guest? Ed Messick was bitten by a tick in eighth grade, where he was originally diagnosed with mono. It seemed to be under control until a traumatic event on top of a highly stressful point in his college career led him to not only feel terrible, but also not take care of himself in a way that would help him regain his health. He eventually dropped out of pharmacy school and after suffering from chronic fatigue, brain fog, depression, and rapid weight loss. His primary care physician did give him a Lyme diagnosis, but when he went to the top infectious disease doctor in New Jersey, he was told he didn't have Lyme disease. Now, in 2016, he has regained his health is graduated from the New Jersey Institute of Technology with a master's in bioinformatics, and he works in a as a bioinformation analyst for a genomics company in New Jersey. That's quite the resume, isn't it, Aurora? Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, thanks so much. And here is our interview with Lime Ninja Ed Messick. Hello, Ed. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Hey, McKay, uh, it's Edward Messick. 
I live over in New Jersey. Nice. Northern New Jersey? Yep, northern New Jersey, Morris County. So how'd you get there? Is that where you're from? Yep, I was born and raised in New Jersey, and for the most part, I've stayed in New Jersey. And I'm uh, 27 now, or about to be 27, so, you know. Cool, when's your birthday? Uh, March 2nd. Oh, mine's March 9th. Oh, okay. Coming, right. coming up. Yeah. So you you got Lyme disease, you think, a long time ago. Do you remember the rash, or how do you know? You said it was in eighth grade in your email you sent me. Yep. So I originally uh, got Lyme in eighth grade. So I was just sitting in class, and I, and I fell asleep. And I, I think I was just falling asleep in class, and... Um, so I went to the doctor and they, they diagnosed me with mono. Um, so unfortunate that the kissing disease typically they call it, but unfortunately I, I wasn't kissing many girls back then. So <laughs> I, uh, it's a little early. It's great. It's a little early, but <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, maybe, maybe but <laughs> I, uh, so then they they did figure out that it was Lyme. They, they, I had to stop playing football uh, because they thought my appendix would uh, would explode if I got hit or something because they thought I had mono. And then they they did figure out it was Lyme, but I never got a rash. Um, and and I think actually a lot of the stats out there are showing that people really don't get the rash most of the time. Yeah, that seems um, to be the case, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Then, then I was just treated with a regular oral antibiotic regimen, and I think for a month. Uh, you know, it was a while ago, but I didn't really see any terrible effects after that um, for many years uh, until really until college. And where, where I think it did come back and I, I think I proved that it came back and, uh, I've been still struggling with on and off with Lyme symptoms since about five years ago. Um, whether it was another bout of Lyme from, from another bite or if it came back, um, is kind of the question, but. I really wasn't in an area where there was, uh, I, I was living in a city and, um, I, I definitely don't think I got bit again. You know, I was just having that conversation today with a patient who came in and she was asking, you know, how do you know if it's a relapse or a reinfection? And I basically gave her the same answer you did. It's like, well, I really don't know unless you get another rash. Uh, and even then it could still be just a, a reactivation. So it is. So what, what brought it on for you? It's like some people, there's so many different things that can trigger the relapse. Yeah. So I was, I was in a very stressful time, uh, in my life. It was like a whole barrage of different stressors from my living conditions. Uh, my, my friend group kind of fell apart. And, uh, there was, there was a lot of crazy things happening. Like I basically 
was dealing with like I, I had gotten robbed at gunpoint oh, and great. Uh, all these crazy things. And then, uh, and then I go into the hardest semester of pharmacy school. I was enrolled in my second professional year in Ernest Mario School of Pharmacy, <clears throat> which is at Rutgers. And it was, uh, you know, basically two full-time jobs to, to, to get through that program. And I had always done well and, and everything. Uh, but that semester was extremely, excessively taxing and then probably toward mid-semester I, I found myself oversleeping and eventually sleeping 12 to 16 hours a day wow and um yeah and I I really didn't suspect Lyme I just thought I was super depressed because my life fell apart from at that that robbery incident kind of like shook my friend group up. I kind of, I was a founder of a fraternity. I, I was no longer affiliated with all of all my friends that, you know, and I kind of couldn't be anyway because of how tough pharmacy school was. But then, then that extra stressor, I was also working, um, to pay through for college and, um, it, you know, and then, I just started feeling terrible and I, I literally, I, I didn't take care of myself. I was sleeping 12 to 16 hours a day, not even going to class, which you can't get away with. And, and, uh, yeah. So I, I mean, looking back, I wish that I immediately, uh, took care of things, but I, I thought I would just tough it out. Like I had always before, you know, uh, in periods of stress. Yeah. Yeah. So define feeling terrible. Obviously, you're exhausted. Me, yeah, obviously, you're exhausted. Exa- chronic fatigue. Yeah. Um, chronic. And so, I mean, I, I eventually became used to chronic fatigue. Like, didn't, you know, I was used to just being tired, but I really almost had no mental clarity when I would wake up. So, even for the eight hour window, I was awake. I would have to get notes, which, you know, you would have to study six hours a day, you know, if you were serious. Yeah. And so I'd have to get all these things from people. People started like hating me because I wasn't <laughs> going to, doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. And relying on them. And, but as far as how I really, my symptoms at that time was, and they got worse and worse. I'll get to that. But, at first, first month or two where I was starting to feel it, just very depressed, like overwhelming where I couldn't really, there's nothing that could really um, get rid of that. And just so tired. But even when I was awake, just very mentally foggy and couldn't really memorize things, like couldn't really do my work. Um, so... There was that, and I started just losing weight rapidly. Uh, um, before that, I was uh, pretty competitive in martial arts, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, cool. Not like, yeah, not like. You weren't world class. Super high level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I did compete on a national 
Oh. Somewhat, and but I was a lower yeah. rank. Yeah, yeah. In, in the sport, that's very cool. But it was, yeah, it was something I found. I had played all different sports my whole life, I bounced between different sports. Part of that was because of Lyme originally, mm-hmm. where I quit football, um, and I switched up baseball to lacrosse. I, I played all different sports, but I found martial arts when I was seventeen. I started uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and. I really had, that was like my best natural sport. And so I, I loved it. And, you know, my joints were another thing. Um, my joints like click would click and get pain. Like it was, it was weird. Like I thought I attributed it to that. I had like stopped working out as much because of being tired. And then if I did go to the gym, Somehow in my eight hour, 10 hour period of being awake, um, like my joints would just feel terrible and they would like make noises as I'm lifting. And I just kind of attributed it to that. I'm rusty right now, not hitting the gym that much. Um, so I lost about 20 pounds. Yeah. Um, and and like, let's, let's pause. Strength. Yeah. Let's pause there for a second because I think this is really important. It's not like you had 20 extra pounds of fat on you, right? You were, lo- you lost 20 no. pounds of muscle. Of muscle. Yeah. I, yeah. At, at the time I was very lean. I'd say I'm about six one and I was probably like 190, but pretty lean. And then I was down to about 170 something. Um, with like fat on it, you know, so, yeah. um, and more noticeably is like, I lost so much strength, which took me years to build. Um, I, I dropped 300 pounds on my squat. Wow. For, for example. So what were yeah, you up so, to like four, five, six? Yeah, I was at like four twenty-five. Yeah. I never, um, pushed lifting that hard, but that's still a pretty strong number, especially because I don't take any like drugs or anything <laughs> like people take to yeah, get strong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there wasn't like much confounding the, the Lyme disease feeling. Like I had like, you know, I drank a little alcohol once in a while, but not, not really during that time period because did that kick your, the, did that kick you in the rear alcohol? Did that set you back for a couple days or were you able to handle that? Well, I see it's hard to recall if I, I don't think I was really drinking much during this like three to six month period. Okay. Um, where, and then, uh, but I did like use marijuana to, um, feel better. And did that work uh, for you? So, yeah, it worked yeah. great for me, honestly. And, yeah. you know, I, I was in pharmacy school. Yep. So it's like I see both sides, like, where, but I, I wasn't self-medicating like in an unhealthy way. I, I would just use it when it was particularly bad and it's college. So, you know, it's everywhere, but I still think marijuana has general healing and properties for like cannabis should be used for, for Lyme. I think. Yeah. The uh, CBD oils. Cases. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it, I mean, it's crazy that. Now the DEA has classified even cannabis oil as um, a Schedule One uh, substance. It's it's insanity, and I I will probably end up going on a whole rant about 
the medical industry because I've seen from within um, as a student and working in a hospital and for years and I've seen from, as a patient in a disease within a disease state that isn't well understood and has like a lot of problems with the the thought leaders like the CDC and Infectious Disease Association, the people that doctors are looking to for guidance, um, have it have it all wrong. Yeah. Um, so before wait so, before we get on a rant, because I'll build you the soapbox yeah, for you to stand on, I promise. <laughs> but okay. let let's yeah. back up. You've got a medical background here, and I just want to clue some people know what you're talking about, and I kind of have a general idea in terms of what's going on when you're losing twenty pounds of muscle mass. But what? Yeah. And you, as an athlete, know what's going on there. But why don't you explain to people wh- why does the body all of a sudden lose muscle? Well. It, a lot of it was because of inactivity. I'm, I'm laying down for 16 hours. I'm not exercising those those muscles. Um, but then there's also the fact that a lot of your energy is going to fighting Lyme, and it's not going to maintain your 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 muscle. And then I also wasn't probably eating optimally. Um, you know, like when you're feeling terrible, you don't really eat the best thing sometimes you go and try to feel better by eating like pleasure foods instead of which is totally wrong uh when you have lime you know yeah your brain wants that quick hit doesn't it yeah so i'd say it's like all of those things and possibly something to do with with lime directly but uh it's it's really uh, a crazy disease because of the lack of uh, of study. Yeah, I'm seeing, looking at quite a few twenty-three uh, and Me uh, data points and using Bob Miller's system. He's he's somebody you'd be real interested in, given your background. Uh, he, he's got a system for analyzing the 23andMe raw data and taking a look at some of the genetic things. And one of the things that shows up again and again with people with Lyme disease is there's some some mitochondrial issues dealing with fatty acids as a fuel source. So whether it's switching, being able to switch uh, from carbohydrates over to fats in in like the starvations, uh, and I forget which genes those are, but there's a series of genes that helps the body do that to actual genes – kind of transportation genes, some of the ACAT genes uh, that help the the fatty acids get inside the cell to begin with. And I I think, you know, listen to your story here and seeing some other people, you rarely see fat people with chronic Lyme disease. I mean, it happens from time to time. But for the most part, the dysregulation that seems to happen is with the energy. And I think there's, a, there's some mild ketoacidosis that happens. I think you're burning some of that muscle for fuel. Uh, especially if your appetite goes away too. So, I mean, uh, that's, I was wondering if you thought that was the case with your muscle loss, but you thought it was more just from just being in activity and that totally well, can do it too. Well, that's entirely, that's very interesting. I, I, I would love for you to send me that because actually my field now is bioinformatics. So I work at a genomics company and I essentially, for my, I ended up not finishing pharmacy 
Uh, and I'll, I'll finish that story because it gets into how Lyme got worse for me. Okay, great. Let's um, go there. Okay. And then now I'm, I got my master's in bioinformatics and <laughs> one of my projects was to use 23andMe data, blah, blah, blah. It's related. But anyway, so I'm sick. Uh, it's like early mid fall, early winter, right? So, I keep pushing through. Miraculously, I'm passing my classes. I'm actually doing well. I, th- thanks to all my friends who gave me notes. And um, and then one day we have two finals, and I and I slept through my finals. Oh no! I just, you know, my I just couldn't get couldn't up. Couldn't get up. Yeah. I couldn't like didn't even woke up like six hours after them. Like, wh- where am I? Oh and man! So. They dismissed me, right, from the program. Wow. And I didn't even get an F. Didn't even get one F. I got D's in the the classes, despite not having taken the final. And they don't let let you, they give you no leeway in pharmacy school. It's it's really like somebody else had, like, Crohn's and didn't. Yeah. Uh, had Crohn's disease and they got kicked out, too, and whatever. People don't realize how tough that education is. It's brutal, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's absolutely brutal. I, they, I mean, people don't recognize, uh, pharmacists are the most knowledgeable when it comes to drugs. And that's part of one of the problems I'll probably get into with the whole medical system is, you know, they don't have enough power in, or say in therapies compared to doctors, even like nurses and physician assistants can prescribe medications, but pharmacists pretty much can i mean starting to to get some more abilities but um it's part of the over prescribing problem in our country um or in the u.s but anyway um so hang on you may know this from like one of your early courses when because it didn't used to be that way we're talking way way back it used to be a physician would make some sort of diagnosis and then hand the diagnosis and then the patient would go to the pharmacist and the pharmacist would determine what type of uh treatment drug to compound or or make up for the person when did that's when did doctors start taking that over and i'd i'd have to say uh, a long time. I I want to say that goes back before in, into the early 1900s. I, I think pharmacists had a little more. They could. Um, my history isn't that fresh right now, <laughs> but it's definitely not any time recent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, my history is uh, no, I was hoping yours I mean, was, you're up on that and that's not unfair question. So I didn't mean to ambush did, you with that one. <laughs> I did get an A. No, no, I got an A in pharmacy history. So I, should, uh, <laughs> I got that one. But I don't, well, I actually don't, uh, know that, but I think that now they need to be more political pharmacists. That uh, was like one of my goals because, uh, you know, maybe it's a personality thing of who gets attracted to pharmacist but I, I found that I was very different than most people anyway I was more of like a critical thinker I would question what I'm learning mm-hmm. uh, especially like in med school and pharmacy I think they they teach nutrition all wrong for example what's but, wrong what's first of all that they're teaching it at all is, is a bit of a miracle but what's wrong about the way you yeah. learned it 
Well, they do the very basics, um, which isn't like necessarily wrong, but I, I just don't think they teach with like the current science and it's a problem with the studies as well. Like it's really hard to conclude anything from nutritional studies sometimes, but, um, yeah, I just think that doctors and pharmacy students and pharmacists, there's too much for them to learn. And this is, hmm. this is the core problem of why Lyme still is misunderstood. I believe they have too much to learn to look into one, any one disease, unless that's their interest and they're, they're a researcher doing that or, you know, uh, or, or related that's their specialties like infectious disease. But even there, they tend to just listen to what they're told by, you know, med school or the, the leading organizations. And it's in part so that they protect themselves and in their eyes, the patient, but it's also just a function of that they have to sit in med school and learn everything. They have to learn so much that if they questioned every single thing and had to look up every single thing for the the publications that prove it, you know, they, they'd never make it. So I think that's part of the reason. And I just hope that uh, we make progress on Lyme research and figure out um, a better way to treat this and, and finally get recognition for chronic Lyme because I think it's the basic biology of, of uh, Borrella, if I'm pronouncing that right, but I think it's the basic biology that it would persist in your body, um, which uh, I'm sure people have went over many times, but it, it, it's just, uh, to me, it's like illogical to think that it, it couldn't persist, you know? Yeah, there's, there's some really good groups now working on the persister cell issue of Lyme disease. And in, in my point of view, it's an, it's a very important, uh, avenue that they're pursuing, A, but B, it's only one of the ways that the Borrelia sticks around in the body. I mean, these persister cells are interesting, but that, that's just one. Spores. Yeah, the spores, yeah, the spores are just spores one. And- the biofilm is major and just its ability biofilm. to burrow into tissue is another way. It right. just literally it runs away. Tissue. Yeah. It's designed and it, it's designed to do that to, to, to last. And its nearest neighbors in taxonomy are, are called the recurring fever, uh, you know. Exactly. So, so it's, it's just bizarre. Even the, the man who discovered Lyme says that who rest in peace but he you know says that it's obvious that it, it would persist um also there's like ways that it thwarts the immune system like the biofilm and the fact that it uses manganese to produce proteins instead of iron and all this weird stuff but um yes it, it's just the huge issue is the testing. The diagnostic testing is, is miserable. They're still using immune tests, and they've downgraded it now to the CDC to um, only using w- one test, even though their their rates of false negative uh, false negatives are fifty percent. They're uh, they're uh, not uh, using two tier anymore. They're, or that's what I, you're talking I mean, about the two tier. Right. I think most doctors do the two tier. Yeah, but yeah. I don't think the CDC 
uh, recommend it anymore. Um, yeah, and and what was crazy is uh, when I was going through this, I as my symptoms got worse after I got dismissed from pharmacy school, I I was appealing, and and honestly, I messed up in the way that I handled it. I was going, I was literally going psychotic. Did you have a little Lyme rage going on? Totally. I freaked out <laughs> at my dean. I cursed off a dean and oh, like wow. said all this like crazy stuff. I was just, then I started going out and like trying to party, even though I had zero energy and I was just caught, like just being, I had no inhibitions almost. Wow. It was so bizarre. Like looking back, it's like, that w- that's not me. Like that was, I don't know how I was doing. Like I had no sense of right or wrong kind of like, there's no, like I, it was, it's so hard to explain pinpoint, but I almost felt like an existential crisis times a thousand kind of thing every day. Uh, it's like, I, it's not like I, I was having one at the same time. It was lying. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I got prescribed, uh, SSRIs for depression and I only made things worse. I was going to say, did that help at all or made things worse? It made things worse. And, and I think from, you know, now I'm separated from pharmacy. Um, I think like there's a huge stigma against a lot of drugs, but like for the most part, the drugs out there are doing good and the pharma companies have good intentions. But then there's, there is a big problem with over prescribing. And I think SSRIs are in that category. I don't think there's enough real proof that they're helping people. And I think it's actually dangerous for super depressed people to, to, to be using them. But anyway, I had worse effects when I came off of them. Yeah, well, and, coming off those can be absolutely brutal as the body yeah. tries to readjust. Right. So, I mean, I was dealing with some other things, and then I finally got on antibiotics. And um, so, how did how did that happen? Better. So, you're, you, I mean, what from the outside looking in? Here's this young man who's going through. Uh, school grad school right to phd school to you know be a pharmacist right. you know it's just yeah, like well okay he's partying a little bit too hard he gets stressed out he gets behind in his work yeah. and then he loses his shit let's just say that right, right? My, it, my big mistake was admitting was not handling it the disease and getting going to a doctor uh and finding i mean not I did get misdiagnosed. I mean, they gave me depression, and that let Lyme sink deeper into me for months. You know, and um, exactly. So that's that's my point. There's like, how did you get so on, from the outside looking in? It's like, okay, this is just total. This guy's just losing his mind. It's right. pretty clear, exactly. you know. My family, how, everybody. Of course, I mean that's the logical. That's the easiest step to make. How did you get from being? your whole universe telling you that, okay, you're just losing your mind and you need to get your act together into, okay, yeah. he's, that's a reactivation of Lyme disease. How did you make that leap or who made that leap for you? Um, I made the leap. I, you know, got off of the 
SSRIs because uh, I'm like, these aren't doing anything. And I'm feeling crazier, and I already feel crazy. I just somehow, I don't understand this, but I got a girlfriend during that time period who I, who I loved, and um, I just started to try to, like, live healthier, and I was at a pharmacy school. I, I was super depressed because of that, but I just started to think, like, what's causing this? Cause I'm, I'm living healthy. It's been a month of like just eating perfect, like hitting the gym, but I'm like, I'm like still sleeping 12 hours and still feeling tired 24 seven. And what's happened, like, you know, it's not getting better. So, uh, I just started thinking, well, what if, what if it's Lyme? I don't know. I don't remember how I, it really came to my mind, but I'm like, this kind of like reminds me this fatigue of like of, of Lyme disease, maybe from learning it in school or from my past when I had it when I was younger. But either way, I, I figured out it was, I think this is Lyme. So I go back to my doctor and she tests me and it was Lyme. How about that? That was, that was my primary care. Um, and I don't really blame her like I said, because I have both perspectives where, you know, you're a primary care doctor and, you know, probably other people with Lyme are not going to fully support this, but like they have too much to learn. So I'm not going to sue her for malpractice or misdiagnosis, you know, like I'm just, I'm just going to accept that that's the state of medicine for Lyme disease right now. And then I'm going to find a doctor who understands it. So I went by referral to like the top uh, in New Jersey um, infectious disease doctor. So, you know, ranked number one and whatever. And I had went to him when I was younger. So I go to him with the Lyme results um, and they're in the positive range. And he says, I, I don't have it. He's like, you don't have Lyme. Wow. Because you didn't get a, you didn't get another bite. I was living in a city, so where, and I was staying in bed 24 seven. So it's, I mean, uh, there's no way, like, uh, you know, I really didn't get bit again. And, um, so he, he tells me to my face that I don't have Lyme. And of course, I'm pretty volatile at the time. So I told him off, like, you don't know what you're doing you know, learn a little bit about Lyme. It doesn't even make sense because I was in the range of the positive test. Right. So, yes. So I, I really don't understand that one. Um, but uh, he seemed like one of those guys that just stays in line with whatever uh, the standard is because, you know, I don't, for what one reason or another, malpractice or, or whatever. But um, so I'm like, you know, I can't, what can I do about this? You know, I had to get an, uh, another doctor to get, uh, I found a Lyme literate doctor and got on antibiotics and I was take, don't tell my old job. I was taking some from my hospital job, like the old antibiotics, uh -huh. um, because I couldn't get prescribed enough and, you know, it doesn't justify it, I'll, but that's really how I think I cured myself. Is, um, 
didn't cure myself really, but turn things better, around, right? At least. Yeah. You know, turn I'm going to around at that point. Yeah, I'm going to pause here for a second. I'm going to bring up two points that that you've highlighted and one of them involves a previous conversation I had with a, a man named uh, Kevin Peer, and his background was in movie making. And he really talks about his transformation in Lyme disease when he took ownership, just like you did. And he talks about it from a storytelling point of view. He says, you need to become the hero in your own journey. Right. It's like you yep. stop relying on everybody around you. It's like it's it, it may suck, but it's up to you to. And just like you did, it's like, wait a minute, this just doesn't make sense. You know, and then you're told by the yeah. top guy in the state to your face saying, no, it ain't lime. What are you talking about? Right. So that brings me up to my second point. So the yeah. first point. So in everybody's lime journey, there comes a point where things turn around and they become their own hero. And they talk about it in different ways. For some people, it's a spiritual transformation. For other people, it's a, an awareness kind of thing. But the bottom line is they take control of of their path and they don't accept what the rest of the world is telling them. And then that brings us to point number two. And do you know, Scott Allen, do you know the Dilbert cartoons? Do you, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. So Scott Adams has a blog. And he has a, a book about it. And I haven't read the book yet. The book's called How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big. And he's he's been talking about the politics over the past year. And he, he predicted a Trump win. And he's not a Trump fan by any stretch of imagination. So this isn't about politics. He's watching how the different candidates present their points of view. And he talks about frameworks. So people operate within frameworks and other traditions call it a context or something like that. So what, what happens with your doctor is that you're threatening his framework. So he, yeah. he has either two Two options. And given that he's probably, you know, aging man and his whole career rests on one particular framework and his job rests on it, he's going to defend that framework literally to his death. He, yeah. he, he's, uh, it takes a rare human being to say, you know what? That's all wrong. I'm going to give this all up and I'm going to go research Lyme disease and try to get funding in another way. It's just not uh, going to happen. So people fight the to the, of, yeah. Yeah. It, it's just know, our nature, and I see that exact pattern everywhere. Yeah, in everything. It's exactly Everybody's like. So I've always been kind of like a very critical, open thinker. I never, I always question authority as a as a kid. So maybe that's why I was able to go <laughs> and do that. Yeah, I was always, and uh, so even like pharmacy school really wasn't even a perfect fit for me. I I ended up going into that in a out of fate where I misclicked on my application and blah, blah, blah. But I was always wanting to be an engineer and create things and change things, you know? So I so, ended up now back into that. Yeah. So let's tell a little bit. What are you doing these days? What is bio in for? What do you call it? Bioinformatics? Yeah. Bioinformatics. So I used my, I, I did gain a love of biology from ph pharmacy school that I didn't have before. And, and I saw, I started seeing the body and as, as like a machine. And I, and I'd always been, a, I had been a programmer in high school and even later in middle school. Um, maybe even started because of Lyme when I was 
like at home more and kind of sick and I started programming learning and so now I kind of combine genetics and programming and I think that down the line some of the work that I've done at, at the company I work for could be applied to Lyme testing so I think eventually if it's paired with like a laboratory test that can get the DNA from Lyme, my software can tell you if that, if there's Lyme in there or other tick-borne illnesses. And I don't think many people have really worked on this. I've seen a few uh, other people that have this concept and have even developed tests, but the problem is getting it through FDA approved and implemented and to me it's kind of crazy that we're seeing like 10 to 20 percent or whatever is the estimation of people are getting recurring or post-treatment Lyme and they're not really it's not really being developed I don't think that I know of or do you know the TGen people out in Phoenix do you know what they're doing no I'll, I'll send you their information. I'm not sure exactly what their technology is, but they're supposed to be coming out for clinical trials this, oh, really? this spring, um, with the new test. And, and I love telling the story. I was at a conference at Mount Sinai Medical School and they had some researchers there and not really too many practitioners, but they're trying to bring together kind of the bioinformation people, the big data people yeah. and the research people yeah. and trying to, to bridge some of this exactly what, what you're talking about. And some of the researchers are, are beginning to see that there's some money streams coming in for Lyme disease and the competition mm-hmm. isn't as stringent because it's really out there in the fringe. Exactly. So that, that starts exactly. attracting researchers. So there's, there are this small group of researchers who were in the AIDS field, the HIV field, and they're now coming over into Lyme disease and bringing all they learned. And this one young scientist, he was out from the West Coast, and he, he, he insulting like only a scientist can be at a conference. He, he stands up and says, well, you know, this is my background, and we were working in, in diagnostics over in the HIV. And when I came over into the Lyme world, I was a little surprised that you were still using the Western blot. And he's just talking about Western blot, you know, let alone a Lysa test. Yeah. He's that's yeah, what that's. Yeah. If he, if he, we got him a couple beers in him, he'd be ranting and raving and it, oh, yeah. how about how silly it is. And he says, yeah, you know, that's 40 year old technology that you're using and it's just and, and, and not this, good enough. Yeah. It's terrible for this disease state too, because this disease directly affects your immune system. Uh, or indirectly, uh, not really clear, but it messes with your immune system and yet you're using your immune simple system, yeah. binding test. So that, that's what I'm talking, I work, what I do is metagenomics. So that's, I want to apply, you know, th- I'm not, I do, do this to, to really bring this up, but I'm hoping I can start some kind of collaboration and, I don't care about money like with this or whatever. I mean, I know that's what will probably drive it, but I just want to help people prove they have Lyme. Uh, and then part of my story was that I ended up making my Lyme literate doctor 
PCR my get a PCR test on uh, on my blood so that I can prove that it came back. Uh, uh, maybe like a year later, it came back. I thought it was coming back, and I, lo and behold, I was positive for a few proteins that are unique for, to Lyme. So, yeah. you know, how do you explain that? Uh, it's all in your head. <laughs> yeah, it's all. And, and the literally, is, you know, literally in your that's head. That's <laughs> one of the worst. That's what, yep, it, yep. So I think I actually got away with like not as bad as other people because um, so, I was able to kind of mitigate it with oral antibiotics and hitting like a lifestyle change and of course time. And I still have bad days now, but I think other people have gotten a lot worse. Um, so in a, in a way I feel lucky and I feel lucky that I can try to contribute now to the community. I, I really want to work to, to get a collaboration going. Well, I'm so going to T Gene or, or whoever T Gen. Yeah. I'll at the end of this, uh, conversation i'll either send you an email or we can do it after the interview and i'll give you links of a couple people there's the, the group at mount sinai uh they're headed up by a pretty interesting group i think you'd be uh very interested in what they're doing and they'd probably be interested in in you as well and then the tgen people just just to know what they're doing they're all so the other thing that came out of this conference there were two other groups uh, who were fairly along in their testing development. And it's really, you know, the, the new tools that are available are so incredible compared to what we have right now. And I imagine, I think you know this too. I think that's part of what's driving you is once these test devices and they're all going to be handheld office based, simple things to use, you know, whether it's urine or whether it's blood, uh, it, it doesn't really matter at this point, but it's the number of Lyme cases is just going to go through. Once doctors start testing, oh, yeah. it's going to go through the roof and then we'll finally know once and for all. Is like, are these chronic Lyme symptoms, you know, a mitochondrial damage thing? Yeah. You know, is it really just the leftover fibromyalgia chronic fatigue thing? Which is not to say it's not insignificant, but that's not an active infection. That's a different type of damage. Or is yeah, it I an, that, yeah. yeah. Or, I think or, that's interesting, the mitochondria thing. And I was going to mention it is I think it affects people different ways as well because of their mitochondria. Yeah, it, it, this is just something I'm thinking right now, based on the little information you gave me before. But like, my I, you get your mitochondria from your mother, and my father also had and has Lyme. He actually, I think, just got it again this year. No way! And I made sure he got right on everything and like took extra and you know. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't get the terrible sides that I, I had yeah. as far as fatigue. So yep. it could, and I don't have his mitochondria. So yeah, it's interesting, that's isn't interesting. it? I need to look more into. It. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, it is. So the other, so. the other thing to track down. There's a researcher out there. He's not an MD, and he's kind of he was making a little bit of noise about four or five years ago. I be believe his name last name is Paul. Uh, or pal, sorry, P-A-L-L, -L, or now, anyway, A-L-L -L something. And he was doing a lot of work with peroxynitrite and nitrous oxide and nitrous oxide synthase. And they're, and 
what his his point of view is that nitric oxide is involved with a lot of these type of things. And he linked together fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and PTSD, of all things. I thought that that's what really got my attention. And then if he had known about Lyme disease, I think we would have put that in there as well. So he's saying basically you get some mitochondrial dysfunction. The body's not using oxygen very well. The energy levels go down. You start producing a lot of junk, inflammation, and these loops get set up where it's local inflammation. And if it's using something like nitric oxide, nitric oxide's half-life is short. So it's not going to travel throughout the body. It's going to stay locally. So he says these, this is the source of all these weird local yeah. traveling symptoms is you've got this major dysregulation, but the, the, the area that it covers is pretty small. So it's one joint or it's one organ or one part of one organ or part of your brain. Like yeah, the, yeah. the regulation part of your brain disappeared and you were, you know, the party animal for a couple of weeks. Like, where did that come yeah. from, right? Yeah, yeah, not even party animal, just gambling and... Oh, wow, like really nuts. Get, putting, yeah, just getting in situations that I just would have never been in kind of thing. Yeah, uh, that's one, but isn't really that one of the no side... Regard. Isn't that one of the side effects yeah. of the SSRIs, though? I Th- think that, too. That's, that's why yeah. that part of the story is a little... Um, confounded, but yeah, yeah. I mean, even before that, I was before the SSRIs. I was going crazy, like screaming at my dean. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, when I'm trying to appeal right. my dismissal. Yeah. You know, I, I I was a professional, like trained to be a professional. You know, mm-hmm. working in you know, I worked in pharma, small pharma company that made an antibody for anthrax. So I actually worked with like a lot of the immune assays and everything and gained like a deep understanding of them from that. Um, And so that's, that's why now I I realize how weak that's, that stuff is. I think most people do who have Lyme have no more than the, the doctor that they'll go to from a lot of the time. So, and uh, that the nitrous oxide thing is interesting. Um, I, I noticed that, um, yeah, that anti-inflammatory diets. Like I, I like the ketogenic diet. I yeah, don't know me too. It'll work for everybody, right? But works for me. Yep. Uh, it's hard to maintain, but I really that's what I started doing. Like right after uh, all that happened. I think it's because I of the support of my then girlfriend that I even made it through. But um, I started to take care of myself more. I got on antibiotics. I would go to the sauna every day. I think that helped a little bit with absorption and whatever. Maybe that's just a theory. No, you know, some of those all these things. Some of those know? wavelengths are proven to boost mitochondrial function too in the in the sauna. So not only is it detoxification it's but it, it builds Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and you know, helps the absorption into your into your brain and into your tissues. But um so I was doing that, I was eating ketogenic diet. You know, I didn't really use any, I didn't even use marijuana at the time. I went back to using marijuana, uh, after that. Um, but 
I was just trying to live as healthy as possible. And it's just, that's, that's something that I, I can see being really hard, especially for people who don't, like I had people around me who believed me, even though that faded away. So if I have like a bad day now, and if I say like, I think it's Lyme, you know, then I get those, those looks like, like, no, you know, even from family. So that's like one hidden part of the disease that, you know, you're not getting recognized and then you, you're actually maybe going crazy like I was. And then you feel even crazier because right. you're like, am I making this up? Right. So, yeah, that's, that's, I, a... think I, I think I pulled through and I was kind of symptom free for a while and, um, was able to build back up and then, I think it kind of came back, uh, not last, yeah, like last year I had like a really bad like month and I'm like, this has to be Lyme. Like, and then I got my doctor to give me antibiotics and started up regimen and stuff. So felt way better after. So, I mean, I don't know if I'm clear, but I'm definitely way better. Yeah. Clear for now. Right. That's the best we can say. Exactly. Yeah. So I just have to be ready and I have to manage my emotion and thought thoughts when it does come back and just, you know, realize that that feeling worse to yourself isn't going to help. It's probably hard to hear, but, and really hard to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Ed, I want to thank you tremendously uh, I originally said we we're going to go about a half an hour and we almost doubled that. I just want to thank you for your the generosity of your time and, and your knowledge and your passion for this. It just really comes through in your voice and smart, motivated people like you are what's going to change it. And especially I think smart, motivated people from outside the mainstream of medicine. And that, that's where the change always comes from. So you're the, you're the perfect rebel to get in there and shake things up. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You could call me the line rebel now. (laughs) I will. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm, you know, I, I want to give people a little hope that there are people out there that see it the way that it is and that are working, uh, to, to improve things. And I think we'll see in the next 10 years, I hope uh, a big improvement for people with Lyme. So thank you for having me and, you know, giving me a a voice to uh, tell my story and opinions on on the the world out there as far as Juan. You're very, very welcome. It was a pleasure speaking with you. This was a great interview. And, you know, I really... I really feel for this guy because he's been, he's the same age as me and he had to go through a Lyme disease episode on top of, on top of his college career. And it just goes to show how stress can just make you fall apart. Like, and then on, with Lyme disease on top of that. It's, his story is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Most of the time, we have fairly dramatic stories, and this really kind of follows the the Lyme disease script, so to speak. 
but what he had to go through and kind of the, I think the mental uh, component of what he, the psychiatric symptoms he had really amplified Mm -hmm. everything else going on there. And, uh, man, just, you, you feel for the young man, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it reminded me of, uh, a young woman that we interviewed, uh, Carolyn, who was a high school student. Oh, right. Carolyn. And I was, yeah, we, we withheld her last name due to privacy concerns. She wanted to have a little bit of an anonymity there. Yes. It's a really touching story she had too. She really struggled and had to drop out of high school to take care of herself. You know, Lyme disease can just knock you right out of the game, so to speak. And it's always so impressive and inspiring to hear these stories of these young people who get knocked down so hard and then find a way, find their spirit, find their ninja spirit and fight their way, climb their way back on the path uh, to health. And, you know, in, in some cases almost complete recovery and in some cases they're bouncing around between good days and bad days and good weeks and bad weeks like so many people out there yet still find the spirit to move on it it really is one reason why i love to interview people with lyme disease who are struggling and why i call them lyme ninjas because they really have developed the skills that they need to you know, to make it through another day, to make it through another week, and to not lose out on enthusiasm. It's really amazing. The human spirit is incredible. Can I get an amen there? Amen. Amen. So if you like what we're doing, on that note, if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, we'd appreciate it if you would support our efforts by subscribing. Go to LimeNinjaRadio.com and you'll see the subscribe button under the featured episode. Please, if you are so inclined, we would love the support. We need it. It costs us about $300 every month to get Lime Ninja Radio out. And right now we have a small but steady uh, group of people supporting us, and we'd like you to join them. Uh, It's really an act of love on our part to get this out every week. And a little bit of financial support just eases that burden so much. So we really appreciate it. Thanks, Aurora, for all the work you've been doing these past couple weeks, getting us back on track after our trip to Thailand. And also, you Lime Ninjas out there, we would like to let you know that this podcast would not be complete until we leave you with some very important information. And that is the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know that ninjas can leave messages before the beep? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.